G'day everyone, this is Paul Pryor from paulpryorphotography.smugmug.com. Today is October 25th, 2009, and this is The Candid Frame. My guest today is a blast from my past. Daryl Savad is someone that I knew way back in the day when I was playing around with stand-up comedy here in Los Angeles. We got to know each other at the old Edwin Comedy Club at the Variety Arts Center in downtown Los Angeles. And surprisingly enough, in the years that I knew him, I never realized that as well as being an actor, he was also a great photographer. It was only when we recently reconnected that I realized that he was as accomplished behind the camera as he is in front of it. You know, I always enjoy interviewing people who practice more than one art or craft. It's always an an interesting uh, opportunity to hear how they explore and express multiple aspects of their creativity. And it's especially fun to discover something new about a friend. So sit back and enjoy our conversation with Daryl Savard. Well, Daryl, welcome to Thank the show. You. Thank you for having me. It's it's really good to connect with you again, and <laughs> to have the chance of, of, of talking to you about your work because I was really excited by what I saw, and in uh, particularly, I, I always enjoy talking to people who have a diversity of different talents mm. who aren't just one thing. Right, right. You know, you know, there's some people who are musicians or photographers or painters and actors and all this but I I was wondering which came first for you you know I'm going to say performing came first only because and and it wasn't um, performing in the I want to perform since I want to make money my family kind of was one of those big families that encouraged performing and for me to get up in front of um you know, I think Eddie Murphy opened one of his movies where they were going, go, go, Eddie, get up and do that thing you do, you know. Mm-hmm. And so my family was very much like that. And it was kind of like, who could make the uh, the others laugh the most, the hardest? So invariably, that's a kid. And that was me. And I was kind of the only kid in the family. So mm. I think performing came first for me. But I never did a play in school. I never thought about acting in high school or college so the first thing that I actually did was photography photography was um, my first actual art outlet yeah and how did that come about was it in school or did you meet someone that turned you on to photography yeah my, my best friend had bought a 35 he bought a Canon and um, he used to use it to take pictures of girls I said, wow, I got to get one of those. So I got one. I got a, a Nikon Nike, Man. Right. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. So I got this little Nikon mat, and we used to do, buy long, vivid, those old Vivitar lenses because they were cheap. And we just shoot telephotos of, of chicks in Detroit and just, you know, it was just, we just ride and shoot. And soon after I got my prints back, I had this whole selection of women, of course, I didn't know. And then I, I just started to fall in love with the idea of taking pictures. 
I started taking pictures of, you know, kittens and trees and, you know, just just stuff. And photography just kind of overwhelmed me. And all of a sudden, I found myself just pursuing photography. You know, when I went into Center for Creative Studies there um, in college, my first year in college, that's where I started. And what, what did you find yourself turned on to? Because it's one thing when you start shooting on your yeah, own and all yeah. of a sudden you have an opportunity and you discover there's a whole world out there in terms of what you can do with, with a camera. Did you find yourself drawn to something you know, in, in particular? or what? Well, I was, I was just kind of drawn to still shooting more people. Um, and initially for me, I got very interested in fashion and beauty photography. Um, beauty specifically because when I shot in Detroit and even when I moved on to New York, um, the first studio that I, that I was part of, which was Northlight Studio, was a very mm, small place and it had very low ceilings. So it limited the way I could light and elevate lights and, you know, in the ceiling. I didn't have a lot of, you know, play with lights. So I tended to shoot more beauty. And um, I started reading, like, Vogue and French Vogue and looking at uh, different photographers like Guy Baudin And, um, you know, I always loved Richard Avedon's work. And um, I just fell in love with people's faces. So I started shooting a lot of stuff like that. Mm. Yeah. And you, you met Dick Avedon, and he had he made actually, an offer to you. Yeah, I met him um, when I first went to New York. I, I actually wrote him a letter and uh, said that I wanted to do an apprenticeship. I was in my last year of art school, and he wrote back. I was surprised. The studio wrote back, and he said that um, it was two years' work, no pay, so I couldn't figure out how to make a living in New York, two years working no pay. But um, so I just, besides just being intimidated by the fact that he wrote me back and it was a possibility, I just um, I waited. I waited about three weeks before I even responded to his letter, and I went to New York, and I showed up, and Gideon Lewin, his studio manager, let me in, and I see this little man in the back sweeping. And he said, Mr. Avedon will be with you shortly. And he put the broom down. Avedon was sweeping his own studio. He put his broom down and came and talked to me, told me that unfortunately they had hired somebody by that point. And he um, was kind enough to look at my work and critique it. And he had good things to say, encouraging things. And he started making phone calls to different photographers that had been his assistants of his, like Hero and trying to find out if anybody needed someone. And unfortunately, nobody did. And um, I was kind of discouraged, but I went back to Detroit, came back to New York again, and tried to do it myself. And I got this creative black book. And it listed all the photographers, illustrators, all these artists. And I just went down the alphabet, you know, alphabetically. A's to the B's. I got to the B's and called this guy Anthony Barboza. Finally, he, uh, he had me by his studio. I found out he was an African-American photographer, Portuguese ancestry, and he hired me. Mm. You know, it was at $25 a week. So that was no, that was my no pay. <laughs> you know, so yeah, but he increased it every three months, you know, another $10, $15. 
But uh, so with help from my mother, I was able to hang in New York. Yeah. And what was that experience like? Is you know being in New York, being in you know, in the midst of all that creativity, particularly the photographic world around that time. Right. Was it? That was a good time. To well, be for here. me, it was it was just fabulous because I was seeing all of those people that I saw in magazines. I'm seeing them up close now, and just. You know, Beverly Johnson, I just, I thought she was like a goddess, you know. I said, oh my God, is Beverly Johnson? You know, she's the first African-American model in Vogue. And, um, you know, just to sit and, and, and see that human side of her, you know, because she was just a Southern girl. I think she was from Virginia, but she was very um, Southern. You know, she's these very Southern Belle type ways. And so it was... It was just amazing meeting people like Michael Jackson and um, uh, Miles Davis and just all of these different artists that would pass through the studio. Romy Bearden, all these artists that would pass through his studio. And I told Tony the other day, actually he called me about, uh, after Michael Jackson died, he asked me what I remembered about him. He was doing an interview. I said, I remember that I bought a tiny hole in your dark room wall because the first assistant was doing the um, was was on the floor of the studio, and I was in the dark room. But I did not want to miss Michael Jackson, so I put a hole on the dark room wall. That I put, a, I found a nice cork, and as I you know didn't have any paper or film out, I would open this hole up and I would watch. You know, I watched him photograph Michael Jackson. <laughs> so, yeah, that's that's my story. How did you find that your own work? changed and and was transformed as a result of being around those people and just being in the in the, you know in the city because when I look at your work you know you do stuff for people but then I also see that there's um, a lot of stuff that uh, I would call it abstract for lack of a better word where you're playing with color and light and shape and it, when I look at your work you're not just doing one one thing um, how would both of those, your photographs of people and, and, and the abstracts, uh, influenced and changed from, from that period in your life? You know, initially, I think as a photographer, as a stand-up comic, as an actor, you, you have people that, that, that you respect and you emulate and you, you, you kind of um, try to do the things that they do for a while. I mean, all artists probably do that. They just um, kind of pattern themselves after someone, and after a while of doing that, you find something else within the work. And for, for a long time, I was always looking for this perfect picture, whether it was a picture of a person or a thing, I thought that, wow, one day I want to create the perfect picture that everybody will say, there's no reason to shoot pictures anymore. This guy's found the, 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 the apex of the zenith, you know. And so I was just chasing this perfect picture. And I, I think when I came back to photography, I, um, I started photographing people. But in photographing people, it was kind of not studio shots, but there was, there was always some background. And I became very interested in the backgrounds, whether they were walls or whatever they were. I just became very interested in those colors 
and the textures uh, of you know those environments and and uh, I, I slowly shifted some of the people out of my pictures and that's why some of those pictures became mm -hmm. abstracts because I became very interested in those um, as those backgrounds as subjects you know and I think that that's that early on I even had pictures of walls and backgrounds in New York that I, and I recently go, go back to looking at those I discovered that this was something that I started early on and it wasn't a very conscious effort then as it is now but you know subconsciously I was doing that even then yeah. but I, I wasn't um, free enough and I wasn't um, secure enough at the time to just pursue that or realize that that was a vision. And what led you to get into stand-up and acting? Because that oh. seems like, that seems quite a leap. <laughs> yeah. And it's like, okay, it, I, it, 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 I, I agree, it was a quite a leap. I, I had a studio with a few of the um, members from Kamoinge Workshop, which I just became a member of last week. Um, which is? Kamoinge Workshop was... Um, it's been in existence, I would say, almost 30 years, or maybe a little bit more now. Um, and it's, it's a group of African-American photographers um, who, well, there was Black Photographers Annual, and not all of them were members of, were uh, part of the Black Photographers Annual, but um, it was a group founded in New York um, of photographers, African-American photographers, Specifically about you know what was our vision, mm -hmm. and uh, that's kind of what Kamoinge was. But some of the, the members, I remember when I was in high school when I got my first uh, Black Photographers Annual, I was amazed and proud that there was other African American photographers, and it was something you know that I could pursue. Well, there was Anthony Barboza, there was my 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 best friend, my brother. I called Danny Dawson. Louis Draper, uh, Herman Howard, Ray Francis. We all got together in New York and opened North Light Studios. They had the studio. Actually, I, I cleaned this place up and turned it into a functioning um, commercial photography studio. I was the first photographer that made it kind of commercial. It was just kind of a hangout place for them to develop and print prior to that. Mm -hmm. And when I came in, I think I was the first person that had real commercial interest. And um, Ray Francis became like, um, he assisted me. And um, it was just great. It was just great being there and being a part of that whole thing. And then you transitioned to getting in front of, of a mic. Where, oh, okay. Where, where, well, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, I got... I started doing stand-up after we opened the studio. Some years after that, I just said, you know, I think I'm going to shoot commercials. And this is how it happened. I'm thinking, okay, I need to watch more television, do, you know, to figure out how commercials are done, see what they look like. And then looking at commercials, waiting for commercials, I was looking at more sitcoms because during that time, there was more, there was less commercials on, so you had to look at pretty much sitcoms to get to commercials. I'm looking at sitcoms and I'm going, God, that is so poorly written. That is not funny. And <laughs> I said, well, you know what? I'm going to sign into a writing workshop. I stuck, signed into a, um, a sitcom writing, what I thought was a sitcom writing workshop, just as a hobby, just as an aside. 
And when I signed into this thing and the classes started, I realized I had signed into a stand-up writing course by mistake. Well, I couldn't get my money back, and the guy that was running the course convinced me that writing as a stand-up would help me as a, sit as, a, as a sitcom writer. So I said, okay. What he didn't tell me was the last weeks of class were reserved for us to do actual stand-up. So I, now I'm stuck with this. I'm writing stand-up. I didn't realize I had to perform. But since everybody in this class was not a stand-up and some of the people didn't want to be in this workshop, they, doctors, lawyers, firemen, whatever, they, we, we all just kind of did it. And I said, well, if they're going to do it, I'll just try it. They put me on at the end of the night, and though most of those people just bombed and bombed and bombed, and the whole audience was invited, I went up and killed and I did so well that the club owner at Who's On First asked me to come back. He booked me for like a week. So I go back, and after that, I couldn't buy a laugh. It was like I could not figure out what I did so well that first night that I could not do the rest of the week. Well, long story short, he fired me. <laughs> he told me I had some raw talent, but I needed to develop and blah, blah. So now I'm hooked on how did I do this this first night? So I kept trying to, to repeat that sensation and that experience. And that's how I got started. That's how I got hooked mm -hmm. on stand-up, and that's how I went from photography to stand-up. That's how it happened. Wow. And then you were telling me earlier that you came out to the, uh, the West Coast to mm -hmm. make a stand-up. You made a decision to leave photography yeah, behind. Yeah, Why? Yeah, I, I left photography behind because I figured in my pursuit of stand-up, you know, for me, art is like the least amount of stuff you need to do it, the better. So that's what attracted me to stand-up. It was just my mind and talking to people about my ideas, right? Photography was my mind through my camera, through these lights or, or through whatever subject matter, you know, but with stand-up, it was immediate. It was... You know, like performing art without having to have pencil, paper, camera, paintbrush, anything like that. That was that was my attraction. So when I left stand-up, I didn't want to bring a camera along with me to California because I knew I could probably depend on that to make a living. I could depend on that to uh, pull my interests away from, from doing stand-up. And so that, that that's why I kind of left it behind. Yeah. You know, it's interesting when I think about it. Mm -hmm. stand-up and photography that it's all rooted on making people see the world reveal the world in a way that they're not looking at it absolutely you know absolutely. that's and that's at, it, at its heart it's absolutely. like here's here's something you see every day but look at it this way exactly it's a skewed look it is a skewed look because with with your camera you're you have a frame, so you can eliminate, you can put into that frame. And in stand-up, it's the same thing. You have a frame. The frame is mind, your mind, and your voice, but it's the same thing. Look at it this way. You're forcing people to look at it one way or another. Now, the difficulty in stand-up is that 
in any other art form, and that's music, photography, painting, sculpture, anything you do, you develop the art form and then you display it for an audience. As a comic, you gotta display that the first night, you gotta suffer those first days as the artist on stage creating. You gotta suffer through it. Mm -hmm. So the stand-up is in his studio becoming something and the audience watches but mo the most painful artistic process <laughs> <laughs> the most painful artistic process yeah. yeah but it's it's interesting that 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 desire though to communicate and express comes out you know in your acting in your stand up in your photographs and and a lot of people think of artists as only, only being able to do one thing. You know, they go, oh, and they're surprised. So if you're an actor and also, oh, you take pictures too? How is, how is that possible? Why do you think there's always that sort of, I, that concept that if you're talented, you can only be talented at one thing? Well, because people can only, they can only accept one thing from you. They, they, they can't accept Jamie Foxx, the actor and singer. Yeah, he can sing, but... Would the singing survive if there had never been the acting? Would it would it would it have been? Would he have been the singer without being the actor? And we okay, we maybe so, but then we wouldn't have seen. We wouldn't have accepted Jamie Foxx the actor, you know. So it, it's kind of like people need to. They only have a, a, a certain amount of time and a certain mind space where they can put things into neatly and once they file you away, even as an actor, people see you as a comedic actor and they don't want to see you as a dramatic actor. Even in, the, you know, but, but when you stretch it out further, you got Sammy Davis who's a fabulous photographer. Fabulous photographer. But look at, can you say that he was a dance, he was a dancer, he was a singer, he was an actor. I, 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 it's hard for me to limit Sammy Davis mm -hmm. at this point. I can just say he had this frame and this vision, and whatever he did, man, he did it. He did it as, as well as anybody could do it in any category. Yeah. Yeah. So, and my mother used to call Sammy Davis a jack of all trades, and uh, she said, you know, he, he just does everything well. And I, and I used to ask her about just doing things like that. And she would say, yeah, then that's how you should do it. You should just do what you want to do. Doesn't matter if it's two or three things, just do it. Just, you know. Mm. And that's kind of how I, I kind of see it. People, you know, you, you do what you do, but people are probably only going to see you one way. Yeah. They can only accept you one way. Yeah. Well, you enjoyed a lot of success, you know, as a stand-up and as an actor. Mm -hmm. you, you know, you were, you were on television, you had your own show for a bit. And, but when did photography end up finding its way back into your, your creative life you know, and why? You know what happened? I, I, was, uh, I did Homeroom. Now, Homeroom was a show about me being a teacher and all, and then there was a lot between then. But then came this show in the 90s called Naked Truth uh, with Taya Leone. And I went in, my agent sent me in, and he said there's a role that uh, they have in the show. And I said, what is it? Well, it's a paparazzi. I'm like, wow, okay. I go in, read for this thing, bam, 
I look up, I'm on the series, and it's the longest running series I've been on because I did but 29 episodes. And I'm playing a paparazzi, so I'm back to playing a photographer again. So these cameras are back on the set, and I don't need to be schooled into how to open them, how to, how to make it look like I'm really you know, a photographer because that's what I know. Mm-hmm. And um, I made enough money on the show where I was able to buy equipment and my wife and I would go on vacation and I always wanted to get a Leica camera again. And so I made enough when I you know, said, okay, I'm going to buy this Leica, I bought other equipment and I just started shooting again. And the photography took me over again, just like the stand-up took me over. And I just started shooting and um, wasn't doing stuff that I felt was real meaningful or anything for years. But slowly, I just began to see, I I think I was more secure by that point, and I began to know what I wanted to shoot. And I, I, I would think of it in terms of themes and concepts more than just taking a great picture here and there. And so... Give me an example of one of those. Oh, well, an example was I went to... My wife and I went to Oakland, and she wanted me to photograph her her life in places like schools she went to and just, just as a document. And in doing that, I went and photographed her great-grandmother, who was about 99 years old at the time, her grandma, uh, great-grandma Mamie, and who she was named after. And I photographed her, and when, she, when I did that, her son, my wife's grandfather, came by to visit his mom, and I photographed him on this old silk couch, and there was an old picture behind them, and it turned out to be the grandmother, the great-grandmother's great-grandmother. And then her son, my wife's grandfather, is there. And when I photographed him and I looked at the the, uh, contact sheet when I got it back, I thought, this is a picture of generations. It's the great-grandmother's great-grandmother. It's my wife's great-grandmother and her grandfather in one picture. And I photographed somebody else's picture. And from then, I just developed this idea called Twice Taken Pictures, of pictures of the ancestral portraits of people holding pictures of people, and that's that. That's how I did my um, my first exhibition. That was that was mine. Yeah, I've been in other exhibitions, mm-hmm. but they were all not one man shows. And for t- twice taking pictures became my first one man exhibition. And and what role has being able to exhibit your work played in? In, in, in your work, has it is that largely the way that you you've seen yourself being able to showcase and share your work? I, or you know, when I when I just conceptualized twice taking pictures, I just thought here's just a great way to show generations of people, and I can have a collection of work. I never thought about showing it, but what happened was um, with that, um, some people at the Fowler Museum happened to see some of the photographs and just thought, wow, this would make a great exhibition. I never thought about exhibiting the work, but it just kind of fell into that. And I never shoot thinking about exhibiting work. I just shoot things that I think that I want to you know, show to people for whatever reason. And I never think about exhibiting work or... So how did they find see the oh, work? Well, I went, my, my friend Danny Dawson, who was 
like I said, one of the members of Kamoinge Workshop, came out to visit. He did a talk at the Fowler, and he asked me to drop him off at um, uh, Doran uh, Ross's house, who was the director of the Fowler Museum at the time. And then the designer, David Mayo, was there. And Danny, uh, I had shown him the pictures when I picked him up from the airport. And he was like, wow, well, you know, go back to the car and get those pictures. I just want David to see them. So I go back to the car, get the, pic the portfolio, and they flip through and they go, this is, you know, this is an exhibition. How, how many more of these do you have? I said, I only got like 15. Well, keep working on it. And, you know, uh, let's, let's think about doing some narration panels because I think that looking at these pictures of the families, people are going to want to know more about the families. Mm -hmm. So my wife did all of the audio interviews and uh, collect all of the, collected all of the oral history. And um, we curated the show together. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I, I see that you still work with a lot of traditional, you know, you know, you're working with film, medium format, large format. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Tell me why you still have a, a strong affinity for that and, and not, you know, done everything digitally. Because everyone assumes that, you know, if you're a photographer now, you... You must yeah. Be using See, well, you know, not now. I, do, I, I, I still just shoot. Like I said, I just shoot for myself, pretty much. So, uh, in film, is is still what I'm still used to. Um, I know exactly what I get in film, and I'm just not as comfortable in digital. I mean, I use it to, to snap shoot, and I and I see beautiful, amazing results. But I still like working large format. That's that's the other reason. So, if I'm out in the field, it's kind of hard for me to carry a computer, you know, and I can't afford a, a, a you know, a digital back and that whole mm -hmm. thing. So it's, it's it's still more cost effective for me to shoot film, and I just feel comfortable shooting it still. That's all. Yeah. Mm-hmm. One of the questions that. Um I'm often asked, it's like, what do you do? And my response is mm -hmm. often like, well, what day of the week is it? You know? <laughs> right, right, right. <laughs> what, what's your response to that question? Because When people we, ask me what I yeah, do. Yeah, what do you do? You know what? I, I'm a photographer. I'm an actor. And recently I'm a writer. I've been writing, I, my wife and I wrote several screenplays within the last five years, and I just finished uh, my memoir, which, is, uh, which I've been working on for the past two years. Then it's a collection of my life, of course, it's a collection of pictures, it's a collection of um, stories, being from Detroit, um, ending up in New York going through photography, going through uh, my life as an actor, losing my mother, uh, health care, and finding the woman of my dreams, and, you know, marrying, and finally having, you know, another child. So that, that's, that's kind of what's, what's in the memoir, but, you know, it's more detailed. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Just, but, from, hmm? just from a short conversation, it's really fascinating to see that your life wasn't driven by, you know, a plan that I'm going to reach this goal by a certain amount of time. You know, it was more like, you know something, I want to do this, and I'm just going to go and do it. 
And then that led to, well, I want to do that too. And it was, and you know, a lot of people end up, don't follow that. They're driven to do something, but for whatever reason, they're, they're sort of held back. So what, what, what do you think it was about you that allowed well, you, to, you to do that? Th- th- there was something with, within each realm that drove me to something else. Like in acting, you're of course working with somebody else's words and some other producer, right, writer, producer's ideas. I get very bored sometimes, and I'll, I'll come across something that I just don't want to do. Doesn't have to do with the money. I, I, I'll walk away from the money, from everything, if I just don't want to do it. That's why I, I so understood Dave Chappelle walking away from the amounts of money he walked away from because sometimes something hits you and you just got to go another way or you go another way that's attractive. It's, uh, it's, it's, almost a, it's almost a juvenile kind of feeling to, to, to leave something behind that, you, that, that maybe you should stay with. But I kind of just think about, I don't leave it behind, I just kind of put it to the side and I just pursue that next thing or see if it can complement uh, you know, whatever I'm doing. Mm-hmm. So, um, but usually it's some contrary idea that I don't want to deal with or I just walk, like look, walking away from photography, it was, I got to use equipment, I got to use cameras, films, lights, this, that, and the other. I don't want to do all that, I just want to express myself. Okay, I can do stand-up. All I need is that audience and a microphone. I can express myself. Okay, I don't want to do that because now I'm limited to this particular act or this personality that, that I'm expressing at the moment. I want to go act. Okay, and then I do that and then I find something within somebody's work or whatever that kind of drives me back to photography. Mm-hmm. It's, I'm fickle. <laughs> well, the last question I always ask is that I ask a photographer to suggest another photographer, uh, either one that they've long admired or recently discovered, that our listeners should check out and, and discover for themselves. So who would that be for you and why? And it, could be, it has to be one? Just one. That's it. Okay. I'm going to say Alphanar. I don't know how many people know Alphanar. Um, I was very influenced by his work because of the simplicity of it. I mean, he had a way of taking, and he still does, has a way of taking the simplest thing that you might look at in the most direct way, and you just look at it as the most profound thing. It's, um, he just has that way of seeing. Mm. And I think that he, he studied in Japan, I think. I don't even know Al. And he, he was one of the first members of Komoenge Workshop. He lives out here, and I don't know him. I've never met him, and I've seen very few of his images, but uh, I think that Above all, his images moved me as much or more than anybody that I can re- I can remember. Mm. Yeah, and I think that if anybody can, if I could say, look at somebody's work and see the profoundness and simplicity, 
I would say look at Al Finar's work. Thank you, Daryl. It was Thank you. so much a pleasure and I'm glad we reconnected. Absolutely, absolutely. Cool. Thanks for listening and all the support, especially all of those who have taken the time to write a review on the iTunes Music Store. I'm always excited to read a new entry. If you have any comments or suggestions, email me at thecandidframe at gmail.com or post a message on the blog at thecandidframe.com. You can also join the growing community on Facebook, Twitter, and Flickr. Links to each are available on the blog page. Till next time, this is Ivarian X Pirello, and this is The Candid Frame. Check out this show and more great photography podcasts at photocastnetwork.com. Photocastnetwork.com.